Welcome to the edition number 10 of the Clipper podcast for nuts and dried fruit. Interesting times and interesting topics. For our readers and listeners, we are currently preparing stories on how to do business in a very special situation, from online marketing to distancing in post-harvest and of course the changing patterns of consumption. First, let us talk about hazelnuts. Did you know that the US is a major hazelnut exporter to China? How much do you know about hazelnut production in the US anyway? If you don't, no problem, because I talked to Troy Johnson, who is an expert, a consultant, and a trader who is helping us understand hazelnuts from Oregon. Uh, my name is Troy Johnson, and I have a business called Nut Seller, uh, which is focused on um, uh, selling and marketing um, disciplines always been in Oregon hazelnuts. In addition to Nut Seller, I do a lot of consulting for businesses with a company called Vision Marketing and Consulting. Hazelnuts, it really uh, has always stemmed from Turkey. Turkey is the predominant grower. They're the predominant um, leaders when it comes to pricing. And therefore, in the United States in particular, um, hazelnuts have gotten very little attention. That Oregon hazelnuts have a very interesting um, um, dynamic with the growers where we determine a grower price in September generally and that's the minimum price throughout the entire year that they get. And typically they probably get a little bit higher price so the processors taking on all of this risk. Because of that, most of our sales have gone very quickly into in-shell markets such as China, especially over the last two decades. And thus, we haven't invested very much into developing um, kernel um, products or, or that products that would really compete with Turkey and increase overall demand. Um, and then the third uh, situation that specifically is uh, part of the Oregon hazelnut industry is that we have a blight that uh, has decimated the older varieties um, that, that Oregon has had for the last 50, 60 years. And um, so the university, of, uh, the Oregon State University breeding program, which has been funded by growers, uh, within Oregon uh, for you know several decades now has done through traditional breeding practices uh, come up with new varieties that are not so supposed to be susceptible to this blight and the first variety really wasn't um, unveiled until about 12 years ago um, and uh, it was with that that gave uh, farmers in the Willamette Valley of, of Oregon in particular, new opportunities to plant and get into the hazelnut industry. So we started with the Jefferson variety. Since then, we've added several more varieties, and those varieties um, are developed more to be more like kernel varieties that would be able to compete in the global market with um, uh, origins such as Turkey or Italy. And that's why you're seeing a major increase. It, it was only, oh, probably throughout all the 90s and, and even the early 2000s, um, Oregon was kind of stuck in this 
28,000 U.S. Um, short ton acres, excuse me, 20,000 or 28,000 acres um, planted. Well, now we're over 80,000 acres planted. We're, we're literally uh, knocking on the door of three times more um, acres planted than than we, you know, basically lived with for for many, many decades. In Turkey, the industry is very fragmented with an estimated 410,000 hazelnut producers. Can you tell me a bit about the structure of the business in Oregon? In Oregon, we have um, dropped down substantially from about nearly 20 processors um, 20 years ago to now maybe only about five major processors. And most of, most of the product really is in the hands of two. So it's a substantial um, change in the dynamics um, over the last decade. Whenever I hear the words USA, China, and agriculture, I think about trade embargoes and tariffs. Maybe I'm wrong. How are hazelnuts from the U.S. dealing with it? Uh, of course, things affect us, but um, you know, China has been trading products for you know thousands of years, and the customers in China um, are very, very good at finding ways to uh, make sure that they can still um, bring products in that they want to bring in, and hazelnuts are one of those. And um, frankly. We've had very high tariffs on, on our products into China for, you know, forever. And um, just because we're in a trade battle now, um, doesn't it, it might change demand a little bit because it makes it a little bit more difficult for processors to, um, or buyers, excuse me, importers to get that product over and pay the higher tariffs and, things like that. But overall, the demand is still there. We still have shipped, you know, we typically ship at least about 50% of our product to China. Sometimes we'll be as high as 75% of our crop. It's come down a little bit more because of the need of, uh, for more kernels from um, uh, to service where Turkey hasn't been able to maybe have enough supply or Italy. Um, so Oregon has been producing more kernel varieties and shipping more into the, to the uh, uh, value added uh, markets. So, but um, overall in shell markets into China, I think will continue. They'll always find ways to, to work around and make sure that we, um, you know, find a successful avenue. To many people in the nut business, this actually sounds surprising. The fact that selling in-shell to China from the U.S. is so important, instead of getting higher margins through processing and selling locally. You have to compare it to the costs that, that go along with it. So if, if, a, mm. if an Oregon processor pays his grower 100% of his product uh, by November, December, are the carrying costs for that higher uh, price into a trail mix that might be sold in August, is it worth it compared to the in shell? That's a marketing decision that processors struggle with every year. And it depends and it fluctuates. Another difference with Oregon in particular is this. The varieties that we've had in the past, the varieties that were uh, decimated by the, the blight in particular and the original um, 
first variety that was released to replace the Barcelona, which is called the Jefferson variety, have low kernel yields. So you're looking at maybe 40% um, kernel meat in, an, in a hazelnut compared to Turkish or Italian, which is closer to 50%. So that 10% difference is substantially, it, it's, it's exponentially harder to compete the higher the price is. So if you had a, a, a 50 cent a pound in shell price that you're paying the grower in Turkey and in Oregon, and you shelled that out, that means that kernel is only a, is a dollar a pound in Turkey. Well, it's a dollar 25 for the US, just the cost base with no, any other costs associated with it, okay? Um, if that dollar, if the grower price is now a dollar, then the Turkish, cost is two dollars the oregon price is now 250 and so it's we've got that bigger gap now we're at 50 cent difference before we've added any value into that product so that's where we've had more of a difficulty um, competing however the newer varieties that are coming out are closer to a 50 percent meat yield that's going to, going to allow oregon to start fulfilling the, that need in, in the expansion of demand, whether it's into the confection companies such as the Ferreros or the Ritter Sports Historic, or if it's into bakery ingredient, trail mixes, whatever it might be with the value added. Uh, but in addition, I think the Oregon Hastings are gonna have to, to look at the overall dynamics of, of their market structure. I don't know that it's it's uh, reasonable to think that growers can be paid 100% and take no risk uh, because I think that's limiting market opportunity. Because as you just stated, if, if there's a greater value in a trail mix or in a value added item um, that can be sold year round, but the uh, processors taking all the risk, then it's the processor who's gonna determine what he's going to do to convert that back into cash. And in our structure right now, selling it as in shell to, to China um, is really the fastest way to turn that into cash. Did, did um, the, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the, everything that happened in the last months, did it um, affect the Oregon hazelnut business and your business? Absolutely, 100%. And, and um, we, what we've found is that the buyers all, they just put their brakes on. And that happens in all markets. Well, anytime there's uncertainty, no one wants to go forward. So I think what's happened is, and it was probably a good thing because overall supply of hazelnuts is very, very tight right now going into this next year. And I think that the pandemic putting on the brakes has absolutely um, helped slow the, the need or the, maybe the, the undersupply situation a bit with hazelnuts. Um, I think that will pick back up, but we've lost a lot of sales. You know, there's no, there was zero food service sold in the U.S. and probably globally um, for the last couple months until now. So now you're just coming get it back in and bringing in a new uh, market that you can target that you used to maybe provide product to. But overall, 
it, we need to have that consumer um, um, activity to generate enough um, belief in the buyers to know that they can start going long and they can start buying the way they used to in order to make sure that they have the supply necessary to feed that demand. Uh, because I, I'm sure it's the same way in, in Europe, but in the US, we had empty shelves. And that wasn't just hoarders taking every product, it was that. But the other part was they just weren't able to go produce it. So we yeah. had shutdowns in, in production here in the United States and in, in, in Oregon in particular, our governor has been very diligent into determining what businesses can be open and what businesses can't. And, um, and it's, it's put a, it's been a struggle. So, you know, there hasn't been as much activity even on the supply end of processing as there typically would have been, uh, had there not been this uncertainty caused by the pandemic. Water seems to be a growing concern for nut producers all over the world. How is the situation for Oregon hazelnut producers? Hazelnuts in Oregon, we never even used water forever. You know, when I started out in the 90s, there was no one was um, irrigating hazelnuts. It was, mm -hmm. it was completely just... Um, uh, you know, what, what the rainfall provided, and, and it was very successful. Um, with the growth and the new plantings, uh, nearly, I would say, almost everybody has been putting on drip irrigation. Okay. Oregon's got plenty of water. We, haven't, we don't have any of the issues. We don't use, you know, big, uh, big sprayers or anything like that. We just have the water specifically for when the, the trees are young and growing. Um, the, once the trees get bigger, I think most people have pulled the, the irrigation off. So it's not like an almond that needs water constantly throughout the life of the tree or maybe walnuts or something like that. Oregon doesn't have that same issue. So you are generally very upbeat about the future of Oregon hazelnuts? I believe that long-term we're looking at a growth in, in hazelnuts and the Oregon hazelnuts are going to be on the map for a long time. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned a lot about Oregon hazelnuts. There's more on the topic in our next magazine edition, which you can subscribe to at agropress.com. And you can sponsor our podcast, which is now heard by an audience of more than 12,000 people all over the world. Very important in a time without trade shows. Thank you, greetings from Switzerland and talk soon.